0: Good morning. Welcome to IBC Beast. We're glad that you're here. I'd like to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10. All of us have different paths on how we got here this morning. We're glad that you're here. Hopefully you guys didn't wake up like the Stillmans did with no heat in the house. And then when I went to start the van, the van did not start. So I had to jump the van this morning. So all of us have different experiences in the morning. Whatever it was for you this morning, we're just glad that you made it. Over the last several months, we've been going verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. There's different topics when you do this expositionally that normally you wouldn't preach on on any given Sunday. However, when you go verse by verse, uh, the passages are picked for us. Uh, Our fellowship with Jesus is detailed by trusting him, confessing him, watching how he lived, and we ought to reflect his life, and our, how we live out the gospel. Last week, Pastor Ryan preached on chapter 9, verses 38 to 50, and he preached about living in light of eternity. From the text, he said, you're either in or you're out. And if you're in, you're in for eternity, and if you're out, you're out for all of eternity. Are you giving your temptations of this world, are you giving into them, or are you putting your sin to death? And he ultimately talked about how we can kill sin, kill sin at the root, kill sin by meeting with other Christians, kill sin by sharing the gospel with others, and kill sin by revealing, reveling in the grace of Christ. And today we're going to see these Pharisees test Jesus about the controversies of divorce. From the text, we're going to see Jesus remind the Pharisees the value of marriage and God's intent for marriage, dating all the way back to creation. We'll learn how the unity within the marriage ultimately points us to the gospel, and in particular, the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. Today, we'll go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to look at the first 16 verses of 10. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and to the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for so much belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for uh, giving us the voice of Jesus, an, an understanding of what marriage is and what marriage is not, and your design in marriage. We pray that you would allow me to speak your truth out of your word. Allow not to fall on deaf ears. We just ask that you would be with us this morning. Christ's name we pray. Amen. I, Seth, take thee, Amber, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. am getting emotional just thinking about it. I said those words. I'm not usually emotional. I don't know what's going on. Come on, Stillman. I said those words almost 15 years ago. May 23rd, 2008, in front of my closest family and friends. I think there's a picture. Amber hasn't aged a bit. I definitely have aged. I love going to weddings. I love being part of weddings. I love getting dressed up, seeing two people who love one another come on that one special day. Ultimately get a free meal sometimes too. Uh, I love weddings. I got to see my first Belgian wedding this summer. Outdoors was beautiful. In Belgium, roughly 40,000 people get married every single year. In Europe, 1.7 million marriages happen just in 2021 alone. And in America, about 2 million every single year, it's estimated that people get married. So marriages happen a lot. I've been a part of a lot of weddings. I've seen a lot of marriages and in my background, it may be very different from your background. I have seen successful marriages. I think I have a picture of my mom and dad who've been married for 47 years. Next picture is my two sets of my maternal and paternal grandparents. One of them was married for 55 years, and the other was 59, 55 and 59 years. Both sets of my great-grandparents also were married until their death as well. So I've seen healthy marriages. Sadly, I know that my family's experience is not the same as everyone else in this room. Marriage is hard and ultimately sin causes marriages sometimes to fail. My wife has a drastically drastic different experience with her family and marriage. Her parents got divorced when she was young. Uh, And each of them we've seen get married and divorce again. Most recently, her dad had a destination wedding and no other than Las Vegas. Got married by you know who, Elvis Presley. So Amber's upbringing, my upbringing, very different as far as marriage and divorce. And I'm not sure where you guys fall on that spectrum this morning, whether you or more like me, or more like Amber and those experiences. I understand that today's topic is going to be hard for some of us in this room, but our experiences do matter, but the reality of sin is real, and it hurts. Maybe you've been impacted by, by divorce, and when you said your wedding vows, you didn't think that you were going to actually break those wedding vows. Divorce is painful. Nevertheless, as we see in this passage, it is in the Bible, so we do need to address it and see what the Lord has to say to us. Divorce is not just in the world. It also, like I said, it's within the church. It's estimated different um, studies. The Barna Group studied that 32% of Christians compared to 38% of non-Christians get divorced. Another stat shows evangelical Christians, which IBC jerbees would fall into. It's even higher that evangelical Christians see divorce even higher than those who are not Christian. People get married and some of them get divorced. The big idea of today's sermon is this. God's design for marriage is that it be a picture of his union with those he calls his own. Our marriages should reflect continual sacrifice, forgiveness, and love toward our spouse for a lifetime. There's going to be three different points that we're going to see from today's passage. And the first one is the reality of divorce, the reality of divorce. Look with me in verse one of chapter 10. It says, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again and again, as was custom, he taught them. I've preached probably four times through the Gospel of Mark here at IBC Drew Every single passage that I have, we see Jesus gathered around a large crowd of people. Wherever Jesus goes, crowds go and seek him. This is no different. He's on a journey to Judea when crowds of people begin to gather around him. Notice he doesn't run away. He listens to them. He answers their questions. What is it this time that the Pharisees are asking? Look at verse 2. So Says and Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Who are these Pharisees? Those of you who may not know, they are known for their strictly keeping the law of Moses. They knew the Old Testament. They kept not only the written law, but also the oral law. They were religious. They were very elite and within the church. They were teachers of the law. And they've been seeing what Jesus is saying and seeing what, t- what Jesus is doing, and it's starting to impact their followers. It's starting to impact what people believe about what they're saying and their own understanding of the Torah. And like I said before, this isn't the first time that we've seen these Pharisees come about and testing Jesus. They try to stir up things with him and his followers uh, before. They attack Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners they also accuse Jesus of being possessed and eating with unclean hands. But Jesus is not afraid to answer these difficult questions. He knows what they're trying to do. And this time they ask him about divorce. Is it lawful to divorce? Now, why are these Pharisees asking Jesus this question about divorce? Well, there is a clear divide even among the Pharisees. There were those who would interpret Deuteronomy 24 that would say, as long as you just give them a certificate of divorce doesn't matter why you're divorcing them. There were others, no, you can only divorce if it's for this reason or for that reason. So notice how Jesus responds to this question. Verse three, he answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. I love how Jesus responds to their question. What does he do? He poses the question back at them. Why did he do that? Because he knew how they would respond. And they try to justify their behavior of divorce by simply citing Moses. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. This was their way of getting out of marriage. These Pharisees were trying to get out of marriage. They did not truly understand God's design for marriage. It says, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command. Moses said those words, because you are sinners. Deuteronomy 24 was written because of the hardness of heart. God's design from the beginning of creation in the garden was for man and woman to be united in marriage for a lifelong covenant. However, because of sin, not all marriages last. This week during my studies, I came across a poem called The Monster. I believe it's on the screen. It's written by, we believe, a child, but it's unknown. It says, the monster's here. The monster's there. The monster is just everywhere. In my milk, in my tea, doesn't it ever think of me? Mom's here, dad's there, and I'm just not anywhere. How can I say this without any force? The monster is called divorce. There are no winners when there is divorce. I absolutely love reality TV shows, and one of the shows that I like to watch a lot have to do with court. Uh, I'm not talking about Judge Judy uh, or the people's court, Judge Mathis. But there's different live uh, court cams that I enjoy watching. However, society tries to take up on these types of shows. There's a show called Divorce Court, where they basically entertain based off of people getting divorced. But they don't really show what happens after the fact. And you're rooting for the wife, or you're rooting for the husband. There is no winners. Marriage is ending means lives are shattered. Nothing should be entertaining about divorce. Like I said, there are no winners. The cheating spouse loses. The innocent children lose. The spouse who is betrayed and lied to lose. Everyone loses when divorce takes place. And the effects of divorce are enormous. Like I said, all of us have different uh, understandings of divorce, different things that have affected us. Some of you guys are still impacted by divorce. Maybe your parents, maybe your own divorce. Maybe you were a victim of divorce as a child. Maybe you're a victim of divorce as a spouse. Maybe you were the cause of a divorce of another family. Maybe you're contemplating divorce now. Seek the Lord. There are no winners in divorce. Find assurance in Jesus. Divorce isn't easy because it wasn't part of God's design for us. But like I said, divorce is a reality because of sin. As I mentioned before, Amber and I have been married about 15 years now. That is correct, right, Amber, is it 16? I should have probably asked her. She has, notice who's crying. Uh, there was one thing that we did do together as far as counseling before we got married. I don't remember a whole lot about the premarital counseling. I had one thing on my mind at that point. And so during the counseling, The pastor looked at me and said, Seth, you are marrying a sinner. And then he turned and looked at Amber and said, Amber, you are marrying a sinner. And at first, young 20, 21 year old, I was a little bit prideful. I'm like, that's not right. I'm pretty good, I think. But he was absolutely correct. We both have to understand that we are married to sinners. Your spouse is not Jesus. Your spouse is not going to fix you. You can't fix your spouse. You're a a sinner, your spouse is a sinner, we all are. And that's ultimately why we need to depend on Jesus in our marriages. So the first thing we see is the reality of divorce. The second thing we're going to see is the union of marriage. The union of marriage. Look at verse 7, chapter 10, verse 7 of Mark. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Notice that the Pharisees wanted to talk about divorce. They wanted Jesus to tell them when divorce was permissible and when divorce was not permissible. And what does Jesus do? He focuses on what marriage is. He talks about what the union of marriage looks like. A man and a woman must come together, and when they do, they become one flesh. They're no longer two separate people, but they are one. They become one. And this idea of becoming one flesh is not just figurative language. It's also literal. We ought to enjoy, within marriage, sex and intimacy with our spouse. Marriage is a gift to us to be enjoyed, and sex is part of that good gift, Danny Akin says this about marriage. Marriage is the joining of two bodies, two wills, two minds, and two sets of God-given emotions. Marriage is sacred because it reflects the spiritual union of Christ and his church. As Jesus would never divorce his bride, a spouse should never divorce his or her mate. Look at verse 9, kind of sums up why this is the case. What therefore God has joined together... Let not man separate. Who joins this male and this female together? The pastor says God is the one who's bringing them together. So if he's bringing them together, nothing should be able to separate them. Marriage is not only a mere human agreement, but it's also a relationship with God. And God changes our status of a man and a woman from being single to being married, that one flesh union. The loyalty of the husband should be towards his wife. Loyalty of the wife should be to her husband. They're no longer under their parents' reign, but are establishing their own family. Verse 9 is a big picture going back to God's original design and marriage. Like I said before, if God is the one who brought the two together, no one should be able to separate them from divorce. The Pharisees want Jesus to answer the question about divorce, and Jesus reminds them of God's original intention from creation. God's original design for marriage is to be a permanent bond between a man and a woman that are brought together into one new union. And after hearing about God's design for marriage, the Pharisees are still stuck on this same question. Okay, Jesus, but what about this divorce? Look at verse 10. And in, this, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So Jesus tells them, if a man divorces his wife and then marries someone else, he's committing adultery. Then he says, if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And if you look at today's passage and also look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 to 12, You'll see that there's a lot of parallels between these two passages, except one key phrase is missing from today's text. Mark leaves off the words, except for sexual immorality. There's much discussion on throughout the Bible on divorce. When is it appropriate to divorce? When is it appropriate to remarry? What are the, the reasons to be permissible for divorce? To answer all these questions would be a very difficult sermon. And there are many passages pertaining to this. It must be biblical with dealing with marriage and divorce. And our emotions sometimes we use our emotions instead of seeing what the text actually says. The Bible should be where we look to first on these difficult matters such as divorce. I think it's safe to say that God hates divorce and his desire would that troubled marriages would be reconciled. Troubled marriages would be restored. Bless you. And I don't don't think it would be super beneficial for us today to do an outline of all the different biblical reasons for divorce. Is it permissible to divorce if you do this? Is it permissible to divorce if you do that? But rather focus on what Jesus focuses on, which is that one union. And what God has brought together, no one can separate. The study does need to take place, but unfortunately not today. There's a commentary on this called Exalting Jesus in Mark, and I give five practical applications on what this passage in summary, what we can take away. The first one is marriage is a gift and work of God that received its meaning and significance from him. God is the one who created marriage. The second thing is God's design for marriage is exclusively heterosexual and unique among all human relationships. We see that in verses six to seven. It's between a male and a female. The third thing of application is God's plan from the beginning is that marriages would be permanent. Remember the vows, sickness and in health. It's not just when somebody prettier or more handsome comes along, somebody sweeps you off your feet. No, it's through the hard times. It's permanent. Fourth, Jesus acknowledges that because we live in a fallen world and have hard hearts, divorces will occur. However, no divorce is Ever necessary, though it may be occasionally permissible to those who divorce on biblical grounds. Even if you have biblical grounds to divorce, that does not automatically mean that you should divorce. Remember, God's design for marriage is in a, a lifelong commitment. And then fifth, to divorce one's mate without a biblical cause and remarry another is to commit the sin of adultery. Marriage is a beautiful thing. There are so many unique stories out there on how God brings two people together. Maybe you're thinking about your own spouse or you haven't met your spouse yet, but the way that God brings people together in marriage is a beautiful thing. My wife and also Dean are the extroverts in our family. They know no stranger. Amber loves to try to find new people, always trying to find ways to meet new people. I am not that way. But because I'm married to Amber, I have learned that sometimes I just have to tag along and be present. Sometimes I have to get very uncomfortable in different situations. And a few years back when we lived in North Carolina, Amber was driving home, we lived on base at the time, and she saw a woman with a head covering, two small kids carrying bags of groceries, going back to the house. And so Amber stops, of course, and offers her a ride. They exchange phone numbers, They learn that she's from Afghanistan. Her husband was in the military. Amber starts to develop a relationship with her. About two months goes in. Hey, Seth, I want you to meet her husband. Why are you setting these things up? Why do I need to go to this thing? Not only was there the language barrier, there was also the cultural barrier. So we get all six of our kids and we go over to their house. I think we walk to their house. And as we sit there, it's very small talk. What do you do for work? How old are you? And then out of nowhere, he looks at me and he says, do you love her? And I'm like, that's an awkward question to ask somebody in the first 30 minutes of meeting them." And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, do you love her? You're married to her. Do you love her? I was like, of course. And he's like, that's such a beautiful thing that you got to choose her and you love her. And then it clicked that this guy was in a betrothal and his marriage was arranged. And so I asked him, you know, social skills. Somebody asked you a question. You asked them the same question back. in front of his wife, I said, do you love her? And his response was not what I was expecting. He said, no, not yet. I'm getting emotional. I don't know what's going on with me. Uh, Let's see where I am. Sorry. he said no not yet but i am close and i bring this i bring this up because they were committed their dedication to the marriage even though they didn't love one another they were they knew that marriage was an important thing in their culture and their society and so many people use the excuse i'm just not in love anymore i don't love him i don't love her the way that i once did that's not a reason to divorce this family had such a unique relationship, but they understood their marriage to be a lifelong commitment. These two people married one another, they had children together, but they did not yet love one another. They were dedicated to another in marriage. The story gets even stranger. Like I said, the way that God brings people together sometimes is unique. He began to share the story of how they got betrothed and how their marriage got arranged the husband shared with us that his father was brutally attacked and ultimately murdered in Afghanistan. The attacker who killed his own father was his wife's uncle. And her family gave her as a payment for the killing of his father. The wife was literally given over into marriage to the oldest son of the man her uncle killed. To say their marriage started in a unique circumstances is an understatement but he was convinced he would fall in love with his wife and would make things work. Failure was not an option for this couple. So we see the reality of divorce. We see the union of marriage. And finally, we see the blessing of children. Now, sometimes when we go verse by verse through a text, it doesn't always flow. This is one of those that it could be a second sermon, but rather than have a whole second sermon, we did tie it to today's passage. So I'll try to make this connection to marriage and the family as much as I can without not uh, interpreting the text in an incorrect way. So look at me in chapter 10, verse 13. It says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So these disciples were getting annoyed by the kids. They were trying to go to Jesus. They were trying to be healed. They were trying to touch just like the adults. And they try to tell the kids, stop. And what's Jesus' response? He rebukes them. He says, no, let the children come to me. These children are just as valuable as the the adults. They're a blessing. I could preach another sermon on the family, what marriages mean to the family. I'm not going to do that this morning. Sometimes people in troubled relationships think that having a child is going to fix their relationships. It won't. It will only complicate things. Some people will try and stay with their spouse because they have kids and don't want to jeopardize their kid's future. So they wait until the children are grown to divorce. That's also not healthy. We should all be seeking to have a healthy biblical marriage that mirror the relationship between Jesus and his church. Like I said, children are a blessing. Jesus saw children as a blessing. I don't think it's a secret that I have a large family. They're relatively quiet when they're at church. They're not quiet at home. We get the craziest looks all the time. Just ask the Phelps when we go out to eat and people stare. Uh, the, the very worst, I would say the most awkward I ever felt was when we first moved from North Carolina to Germany, we were in the airport and we had six kids ages one to eight. So we had three kids that were four and under my mom thought it'd be a good idea to get everybody matching shirts with the numbers one, two, three, four, five, and six So while we're walking around in the airport, people are literally like, we stand out, not only for Amber and I to see the kids, but everyone else also sees the kids. But we actually saw people begin to count. And they were like shaking their heads, like, why are you guys having kids? What is wrong with you? But children really are a blessing. Even on our worst day, when people are pointing at us, laughing at us, shaking their head, they're a blessing especially around tax season. Marriages are a blessing and a picture of the gospel with how Jesus loves the church. So have you taken time to pray for your marriage, those of you who are married? Have you thanked God for providing you with a spouse, not only with a spouse, but with the very spouse that you are married to? Have Everyone in this room has a unique story on marriage and family, but I want you guys to take time this week to praise God for what he has done in your life. If you're not yet married, pray for your future spouse. If you don't have a family, seek God's guidance on whether or not growing a family is in his will. And if there's any marriages here that are broken, I pray for reconciliation. I pray for restoration. I pray that we would have a new understanding that forgiveness is possible, even when divorce takes place. Are you in an unbiblical marriage this morning? Seek forgiveness and work hard at being a blessing to your spouse. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Don't forget the vows you made before your spouse and also the vows you made before God. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for giving us marriages for those of us who are married. We thank you for our spouses, we thank you for our families. We understand that part of your design is... The love that Jesus shows the church, we ought to love our spouse. We know that oftentimes we fail because of our sinfulness, because of pride, because of arrogance. We just pray that you would allow us to seek you, allow our marriages to reflect the goodness of the gospel. I pray for the families in our church here at IBC Your Beast that you would bring restoration, bring reconciliation, and allow us to grow closer to one another as we seek you. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen.